The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in the place of advice from a mental health medical professional for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. The opinions shared in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect those of our employers. Thank you for listening. There you go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode. It's been so long and we've missed everybody that I have no clue who I am anymore. So I guess I'll just introduce everybody else because this is, I think it's HCAT. Mm-hmm. Is it HCAT? Yeah, the, Are podcast, we the podcast's about hydrogen and cats. Yes, hydrogen and cats. Yeah. That explode. Mm-hmm. Is this the exploding cats uh, Podcast. You know, no, we don't. I don't think we're talking about the the card game exploding kittens. No. <laughs> then what? Oh my god! I've been talking about that from the beginning. I know. I just didn't have the heart to tell you up until now. All right. So we'll do the next best thing. This is our here comes a thought podcast where we talk about Steven Universe and psychology all in one because we are complete nerds. Speak for yourself there, bud. You're not a complete nerd? Wow. I am an absolute nerd. Okay. So, I am one of your lovely co-hosts, Kat LaForgia, joined by my other two remarkably lovely co-hosts, John and Mark. That's right. I'm lovely. (laughs) I'm remarkable. (laughs) Get get it? Because Mark... Remarkable. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about two different episodes of Steven Universe, as we usually do. And and not only that, it's a new year, a new decade, uh, a A new new podcast, guys. After this episode, we are done talking about Steven Universe. We are going to just completely talk talk about about something else. Talk about exploding kittens, apparently. Yeah, and hydrogen. Maybe maybe (gasps) some Star Wars in there. We don't. Oh my god, have you guys watched it? Yes. 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 That's for another time, though. Yes. We're going to talk about Steven Universe and Star Wars. I love it. And Baby Yoda. Star Wars <gasps> Universe. Oh my god! Baby Yoda and, and Steven Universe. Imagine them in the same world. What if they are? <gasps> okay, let, let's go. Because if not, we're, we're never going to get, like, it, we're going to be... 30 minutes in talking about how like baby Yoda would fl- would like totally try to f- no no force choke no 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 let's go let's, let's, just, go. let's just get let's on keep with it. Going. Like, going yeah on. no <laughs> <laughs> all right so today's two episodes we're going to discuss are open book and shirt club um so I'll, I'll just go ahead and go right into the synopsis for open book the bits um yeah the bit it's the bit guys so at, in this episode, Steven finishes uh, the series that Connie is really into. I think we were trying to talk about it and figure it out before the recording. And I think we called it, what was it? Ba- Battle Morphs? The Spirit Morph Saga. Battle Morph sounds like it's some like some Transformers. Like that, I'm sure it probably is. It looks I, like I a toy know. line. You know, I I got half of it right. All right, so the Spirit Morph Saga. <laughs> Steven finally finishes it, and Connie's asking about his opinion, and uh, they bring up the ending, and then Steven learns that Connie just, like, really does not like the ending. She feels like it threw out everything out the window, and Steven just wanted to try to appease her and make her happy, uh, mentions that he wishes that, you know, he could recreate an ending for her. To which then his gem glows and his mom's room opens. And so because we know beforehand that Steven can kind of make anything he wants appear in this world or in this room, I should say, uh, they enter the room and they decide, OK, well, here we are. Now we're going to remake our own our own ending for the whole series. Um, by doing so, though, like Steven kind of creates his own costume and Connie kind of needs this whole costume shop to like, you know, combine all the best attributes of the main character and Steven unknowingly creates a fake Connie when he says, come out. I want to see you because, and so with that, he does all these adventures with this uh, fake Connie and 
you know, she's constantly asking him, like, oh, what would, what do you think? What do you think should happen next? And Steven becomes increasingly, like, anxious and, like, unsure. He's like, uh, maybe we do this. Maybe we do that. Like, you know, you're the one who wanted, and then he, you know, mentions, like, you know, you're the one that I wanted, like, you're the one that wanted to recreate the ending. I want to know what you have to say. I want to know what your opinion is. But this Connie just keeps saying something, and it takes a while for him to realize that he created a fake Connie. Um, and then he tells it to try to go away, but um, he had mentioned prior that um, he didn't want the fake Connie to do what he wanted. So now this Connie doesn't go away. It's openly disobeying him by obeying him. And after a while, he catches up with the real Connie. The real Connie tries to fight the fake Connie, but the fake Connie ultimately gets Stephen to admit his true feelings, which was that he loved the ending of the book. Hmm. And he just felt like um, if he did not talk, like if he told Connie that he really liked the ending, that she would think differently of him, that she wouldn't like him as much. And of course, Connie's like, well, it's just a book, Stephen. Like that's, that's not important. And then they end the episode by discussing the ending and Stephen kind of going through and explaining as to why it was this giant marriage uh, event and how there was 50 pages uh, to describe a wedding cake. And that's the end of the open book episode. Who wants to start it? I forgot that I wrote all those weird notes in here that had John freaking out. You know, that, like, Rose was, uh, what was it that I wrote down? Did you forget who this bitch is? A drug dealer? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what notes are you looking at here? I don't see this oh. anywhere. <laughs> I think she's look. Wait, what? Where? I think she might be looking at her own set of notes. No, 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 I'll, no. It's, uh, no, I the can... lore part. The lore part, yeah. And A, uh, for a Roman number four. Yeah. yeah. See, that's how I organize my notes, so you guys can find exactly yeah. where somebody wrote something oh. inappropriate. Oh, I see. <laughs> when he wrote down who was Rose, <laughs> what is Rose's room for, who is Rose? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, um, so this episode is about sort of respecting the difference we have in opinions and and how we appreciate works of art. At least that's the one of the first things I, I definitely noticed about the episode. Uh-huh. So the episode starts with Connie telling Stephen about how disappointed she was with the ending of the Spirit Morph Saga, otherwise known as the Battle Morph Saga. And <laughs> Forever known as the Battle Morph Saga. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with this. <laughs> And uh, how she expected to see like a subversion of like tropes on women and a degree of self-awareness that was not in the literature. While Stephen was hiding the fact that he actually loved the story that ended with a happily ever after. That is very conventional because he was emotionally invested in the characters and he wanted them to have that emotional happily ever after payoff. So one thing I actually liked was um, developmentally where Steven is and where Connie is, um, this pure interaction is where children are at that part, at that point in their life where they are, they want to get their, um, that positive feedback from their peers. Mm -hmm. So being kind of concerned that, Connie may stop liking him because he doesn't agree with her uh with her opinion of the uh of the book is uh, is kind of appropriate um and I love that they were able to go with that um and I love the the representation of you know Connie understanding that you know what what did she say um Steven loves sappy and she should know that that's what he would like. And mm-hmm. she respects him for the fact that he likes sappy and she would never stop liking him. Because I believe the correct term was schmaltz. Schmaltz. That was it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
So, so she still, you know, she still likes him for, for liking that stuff. It wasn't going to stop them from being friends. Um, and it was okay that he liked it. Um, and sometimes we have to stick up to our friends and tell people, you know what, just because you like something, I don't have to like it. Or just because you don't like something doesn't mean I don't like it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but sometimes sticking up to our friends is difficult. Um, which is why, you know, Dumbledore gave, uh, Neville 10 points where he gave, you know, Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron like 50 for doing all that other stuff. <laughs> But we're not going to go there. That's like my own other thing. <laughs> so, but still, you know, it, it is hard to stick up to our friends, you know, when, you know, in, in a situation like that. Um, so Harry, uh, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the HCAT podcast. The H stands for Harry Potter. Yes, yes. <laughs> Stephen was able to finally stand up to to Connie and say, "Hey, you know, I still liked all the all all the changes at the end, and he really liked the fact that she, he was able to turn into a human and marry." Um, oh my god, I forgot the main character's uh, name um, because that's what he wanted, and he liked the de- you know the going into the wedding cake. That's something that he liked. Um, yeah, and that, that I would go crazy if I had to go into like fifty pages of like what the wedding cake looked like too. I'd just be like, "All right, you know what? Nope." <laughs> I'm fine with fifty pages. Really? That wouldn't be too much. No, I'd be if okay it with went 49, down to nine, but fifty fifty is a little too much. <laughs> forty nine, I can deal with. Okay, but. so when when it's fifty pages of a of a cake description. You've run out of macro details, so you're going to go into some deep chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a science boy. (laughs) So, anyways, um, so why is it so hard for Steven to admit that he liked that part of the book? I mean, I I would say it's because uh, Connie seemed so passionate about her own take. Right. When she was talking about it, there was a tangible sense of irritation in her voice and disappointment in the author's sort of uh, point of view and how they chose to um, finish the series. So as far as to say that, you know, they sold they sold out. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the publishing company probably like pressured them into doing something that's easy to sell and compromising their values. So I guess that same sort of very strong emotional response made Stephen feel that she was going to sort of shift that, that um, disappointment onto Stephen when he would say that he actually agreed with the way the book ended. Well, also remember for Stephen, this is also, he still, I hate for I hate to say it this way, but he's still kind of new to the world of literacy, mm-hmm. and this series is his first foray into reading. Mm-hmm. So, even though he loves the book series, he would say that, um, and he would f- he would view Connie as as the uh, as the person who's been doing this for the longest he would want he would be like okay well she must know what she's talking about and and even though he also knows that we're going to have differing opinions part of him may still think you know what maybe i'm wrong in what i'm thinking about the book series maybe my opinion about what i've read is wrong Mm -hmm. because he's still kind of getting the the idea of if the three of us read a book series what i'm reading from that book series and what you're reading from the book series and what mark's reading from the book series we're going to get three different emotional um investments from it Mm mm-hmm so we're going to have three different emotional definitions. 
you know, there are going to be different uh, tie-ins for the three of us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand that, you know, even if Connie explains everything about the book series to him, learning emotional definitions is something that still has to be explained. It's kind of hard to explain to somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that that's only something that you get once something like this happens, you know, and she has to go. That's right. I look at it because I liked it because this is what happened. Whereas you like this part of this. Mm -hmm. So, and it's okay for you to like this part. Yeah, especially because in the end, these things aren't objective ideas. They're subjective opinions, mm-hmm. right? And so now that this podcast is the joint Steven Universe Star Wars podcast, <laughs> we can definitely go in into those same things, right? There are certain like Star Wars fan that haven't liked certain trilogies and others that do like certain trilogies. And they're wrong. <laughs> wait, which one's wrong? Yeah, wait, who's wrong here? All of <laughs> <Who's>... them. <laughs> and anybody the... who says otherwise, they're wrong. <laughs> that's that's I think a very interesting theme to explore, and it's definitely something that this episode wrestles with, which is, you know, I think everybody is entitled to feel enraged or happy about something that they read, to feel like disappointed or feel like inspired by it, because we all have different backgrounds. And so literary criticism as a, you know, as a field, it's really just somebody expressing their own background through like what they read or what they what media they engage with. And so for Steven, this book was very good because it it gave you the emotional payoff and it and it brought you that sort of um tension and that tension release that he was hoping for when he was reading the books. Mm-hmm. While Connie was looking to have a philosophical debate with the book that it did not end up paying off for her. But it doesn't mean that the book is either good or bad because of either of those things. It just means that it worked for one of them and it didn't work for the other. So it's very important to simultaneously sort of um, recognize that people are entitled to feel to feel something when they read a book. I wouldn't blame Connie for being disappointed by the ending. In many ways, I think I would have had the same reaction. I'm not one to particularly like a very clean, sort of just dismissive ending when it posits certain themes throughout the book. But also, I would recognize why Stephen loved it, and that's important too. If that made any sense. No, that made complete sense. I, 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 I just, I also feel like, um, that they kind of took, um, they kind of looked at the books in two very different perspectives. Like, I feel like Stephen, despite being relatively new to literature, he tried viewing the text differently because he viewed Connie so, so highly. Mm-hmm. And he val he greatly values her opinion. Mm-hmm. Whereas Connie was when he, when she was reading the books, she couldn't understand why some actions were being taken place because she, as a reader, knows information that maybe characters in the book don't. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of like at the end when they're discussing the ending, and they're talking about how there's certain uh, there's certain thing happens like. Uh, you know, oh, she couldn't understand why Icarus, like, dove in after her when she knew this certain spell. Mm-hmm. And Stephen's like, well, he didn't know that, but he did that because he really, like, he went after her because he really cared about this main character. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like, he's like, yeah, no, she, he really cared about her. You know, you know, you could see that he loved her. That's why he did it. And he didn't know that she knew this spell already, even though Connie, as a reader, would already know that because of, you know prior reading dramatic irony exactly (laughs) so like for the fact that steven could kind of view things and see it as a cohesive story and understand that oh you know anchors wouldn't know this because 
when you're reading this part prior, when she learns this spell, like we understand that Icarus isn't around. So obviously he isn't there to, to know that she learns this spell, that, that the, she is progressing as a character on her own. But that doesn't mean that he's going to automatically now know that or other characters are going to know what happens when a character is by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something Connie was kind of struggling with. And that's why she didn't really like the ending because she's like, I don't understand why all this stuff happened or why characters did certain actions. When, if you realize, if you read back, like this stuff happened. So there was no need for them to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's you mentioned something very important. The way they both analyzed why Archimicorus didn't like do whatever it was he was doing, I don't even remember. It shows that Stephen approaches the book with a level of emotional intelligence, while Connie sort of approaches it with more analytical sense right mm-hmm. she she's trying to see see things logically like why didn't he do this when he knew this or that and steven is more concerned about well he he didn't know like th- this was his emotional state at the moment and this is the only thing he was thinking and stuff like that and it really shows just how different reading one same passage can be for two d- different people right I think it's a very common thing for people to forget like common human error in literature. Like we often ask ourselves, you know, why didn't they do X thing, which was such a simple solution to all their problems. But I think we've thought of of something like that for ourselves, like throughout our lives, there has to be a moment where we're like, why didn't I think of this? It was such a favorite one was the, uh, like, why didn't they take the uh, giant eagles to fly the ring to Mordor? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, because then the books and the movies would be, like, super short. <laughs> yeah. Although there was a reason for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's cause... because the eagles had made a pact with, with this dude, Gandalf, that they wouldn't... <laughs> this dude... <laughs> They wouldn't fly to Mordor. They they wouldn't do that because it was too dangerous for them. But once everything was said and done with, they could fly there. Well, but that's something that happens in The Hobbit. Well, we also have to remember, like, Sauron would see them. <gasps> yeah. Anyways, this is <laughs> HF, the Harry Potter gonna- Star Wars... Lord of the Lord Rings, of the Steven Rings. Universe podcast. <laughs> We're just going to talk about all of them today. Hey, you know, if it works, it works. If it fits, it sits. Yeah. Like a cat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. H cat, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, anybody else have any other comments about this episode? Well, okay. So, let's mm-hmm. talk about the room. Yeah. Because. So. Steven, Steven, uh, Steven, uh, doesn't use the room since I forgot what episode. Um, he hasn't Rose's used it in room, a, right? Rose's room, yeah. Which, so he hasn't used it in, uh, in a long time. And this room is pretty much, uh, is pretty much. And this is why I call Rose a, a drug dealer. Will make pretty much every one of your your dreams come true. What? Well, any one of Steven's dreams come true, and it's it's literally there just to make him happy. Um, is your dream to do drugs? Huh? Is that your your wildest dream to do drugs? It's not my wildest dream to do drugs, but it's <laughs> it's it's who's cat. It is a pleasure. It it hits his pleasure his yeah. pleasure center. Yeah, yeah. It's it's supposed to give you instant gratification. So his his pleasure center automatically uh, dings when he goes. I wish I can give you a new ending because the first thing he thinks about would make him happy is to make uh, Connie happy, mm-hmm. which opens the door. So then they do the wardrobe and he says, I want to see you, you know, what you look like. 
As soon as, as he wants something, it happens. Mm-hmm. And this is the point of the room. I want it. I can have it. Mm-hmm. So again, it hits his pleasure center. It's instant gratification. It's it's the dopamine. It's the serotonin levels. It's going to hit everything that's supposed to make him happy. Mm-hmm. And Steven doesn't get it at first, but when it's no longer... So it's one of those things... Um, and this is why I say it's a drug dealer. When the drug is no longer... Uh, desensitization. Yes, thank yeah. you. Or developing so, tolerance to a drug. When you're developing the tolerance for it, so when you <laughs> when you need to get a uh, when you need more of it mm-hmm. uh, faster or more often, he starts to realize he, that it's it's uh, it's the room and it's not the real Connie. When he tells it, I don't want you to do what I say, mm-hmm. and now it's starting to fight back. You know, what I find interesting that sort of twists this concept is that th- Stephen didn't go into this room just wishing to have all his sur- wishes come true. He just wanted Connie to have all her wishes come true, right? Of he, course. He goes in because he wants fan fiction for Connie, so Connie will be happy about the ending. And then, you know, he wants her to come out, so he- he's excited to show her the ending that she's always wanted. And uh, it also shows that his biggest desire is to please her at a moment where he should be upfront with her and let her know that he respects her opinion of the book, but personally disagrees with it. Um, so this is a, a, a case of his desires of pleasing somebody else's desires is literally against what he really wants which is to let connie know what he feels let open up with to connie right yep so but now so honesty in this one is the best policy right mm-hmm. <laughs> i think we've had quite a few episodes where honesty where the- <laughs> is the best policy yep and and again rose is a drug dealer mm-hmm. <laughs> uh mm. hmm Interesting. Interesting, interesting, very interesting. But she dealt to herself. Yeah. This was her room. It was her room. So she's a drug user. Yep. But also... Steven is the drug dealer. Because he's dealing to Connie. But then he ends up having the bad trip. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That doesn't, doesn't make sense. This metaphor is so appropriate. Anyway, um, to kind of go back here, on the, on the, I feel like um, the room is sort of like we well, you know the room is kind of sentient in in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it kind of can pick off of of Stephen and and stuff. And then I know you have a, a quote here, and then or a, a point here, and I know we were touching on it just recently of uh, the conscious versus subconscious desires. Mm-hmm. And I can't like I I agree with what you were saying of how. Steven has this subconscious desire to let Connie know how he feels about the book, but he doesn't want to. And so when he tells the fake Connie to stop doing what he wants, you know, now all of a sudden he, he wants to tell her this, this point, but by telling, this is where it gets kind of trippy. Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out how to like word this for the past five minutes. Um, I you think can also see the room as the id. Yeah, in a way. But I think what he does is that he removes consciousness from his desires. So what is left is unconscious desire or subconscious desire. So Exactly. When he's and like, so- stop doing what I say, what's left is do what you're not saying. Force you to say what you're not saying. Exactly, and, and and so what happens is that when the fake Connie and the real Connie are confronting each other, Stephen still does not want to say what he thinks about the book, but because he doesn't want to say, now the room is making it so 
that's forcing him to say what he doesn't want to say. But when it finally comes out into the open and all of his desires are taken care of, that's when the fake Connie decides to di- like says, "Oh, finally, now I can disappear because now I've fulfilled all the desires that you want did not want." Yeah. And and the the thing is, he had a conflict of desires, right? He wanted to please Connie, but simultaneously he wanted to know to let Connie know that he liked the book. And this is what the essential conflict is between Stephen and fake Connie. Like, he doesn't want to accept the desire that will hurt Connie. Or he believes will hurt Connie. But essentially, he has to do something to consolidate those two desires and eventually chooses to let Connie know that he liked the book and learned that it wasn't as hurtful as he thought it would be. Lesson learned. Let people know your opinions. In a nice way, because, you know, sometimes I do yeah. it and I'm just a dick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come on. It's not like you ever called somebody like a drug dealer or anything. Yeah. yeah <laughs> definitely not. That would have no. been offensive. That would have yeah. been. That would have been slightly of, offensive. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think we've covered it. Steven's reading comprehension has improved. Thank you, Connie, for being Steven's only source of education. I mean, basically. Uh, well, human education. Yeah. Human And education. for those who haven't paid attention to anything we ever say, this is literally just something that he wrote in the notes. <laughs> so he wanted just to read that out loud. Yep, it was the last point. We had to cover it, I guess. Thank you, everyone, for <laughs> listening to my last point. All right. <laughs> on to our next episode. <laughs> All right. Now we are on to episode 47, which is Shirt Club, which means after this episode, we only have five more episodes until the season finale and our season finale, you know? Yeah. How long we'll be on a break for? Who knows? I don't know, because we were literally on a break for like, pff, what? Um, um, over a month. month. Yeah, so. Well, to Christmas. be fair, we had tried recording this like a couple weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. our recording and got messed up yeah, and so, got cut off, so. so. So you guys know we actually did try recording this. We started recording this, and due to weather difficulties in rural Pennsylvania, um... The weather gods decided Wi-Fi didn't want to record this episode and just kicked uh, me off the internet. So, uh, yeah. And since I'm the one who edits everything, um, and I'm the one who starts the recording, I lost Jean and Mark. So, (laughs) I had no clue that they weren't even on. And I just kept talking. (laughs) Thank you, weather. Yeah, right? Thanks, Mother Nature. (laughs) So now it is a new year, new us, new podcast. We are going to do this right. We're going to finish this season in stride. And then celebrate with all of you. There will be cake. Tons of cake. cake And for Mark and I, Dom Perignon. It's not a lie. There will be cake. I expect my cake in the mail then. No, it'll be cake for me. And I I will send Mark Dom Perignon. Thank you. I will send Jean Cherry Coke. Thank you. Oh, oh boy. All right. So, <laughs> Shirt Club. Shirt Club. All right. Who's sending shirts? Uh, who is sending shirts? No one is sending shirts yet. I will send- is trying to advertise for father. Books. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Um, Yes. All right. So shirt club. So Steven is trying to advertise for his dad's uh, music lesson, little side business from the car wash. Um, He's putting up flyers, putting up posters everywhere for everybody to see. Um, And he goes to the big donut, gives some to Lars and Sadie. And then Buck Dewey comes in and he asks for a Capri salad, which is kind of weird. But then Steven decides to tape a, a a flyer to his actual shirt and Dewey then, you know, suggests like they should actually make it into a shirt because it's a cool design or a funny design. Um, 
But going forward, they make the shirts and they are handing out these shirts. They are like sharpshooting everybody in Beach City with these shirts. <laughs> and, you know, pe- like Stephen overhears some people talking about the shirts of how they're so hilarious. But, you know, they're not, you know, obviously the design is not that good. And so the next day, Stephen goes to see his dad, ask him how the business is going. And his dad says, you know, yeah, a lot of people are stopping by, but no one's actually taking a lesson. They're just here to take pictures and then they leave. Um, And and so then Stephen decides to go to Buck to say, hey, you know, the shirts aren't working. And then Buck's like, you know, well, of course not. They're hilarious. The design is terrible. But it's really funny, and so that's why I'm pre- continuing to print these shirts. Now, along along the way here, we kind of see this complicated relationship between uh, Buck and his father, who is Mayor Dewey. And we see this drawing that Buck made when he was a kid for his dad, you know, when he was running for mayor. And so after Steven is trying to talk to the gems to kind of help him take care of things, they're like, nope, no one's in danger you figured this out on your own. Steven decides to make his own shirts with that said drawing and spread them around beach city. And he effectively does so at this very public rally. And Buck basically from this point learns his lesson because he gets a taste of his own medicine. And then, uh, Buck comes to Steven and his dad again to apologize and then finally take a lesson from guitar dad. Mm hmm. So so first off, can I just can I just say this? Mm-hmm. Capri salad is actually one of my favorite salads. <laughs> so so the first time I watched this episode, I actually had to rewind it a couple of times because I'm like, is he literally going into a donut shop and asking for like mozzarella and tomato with basil for like no reason? Don't I'm they serve shop. that at your local Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> I wish because I hate Dunkin'. <laughs> I hate Dunkin' Donuts, and if they served that at the Dunkin', I would totally go there every day. There you, there uh, you I have go it. There every Dunkin day donuts. for my coffee. Oh my god, they suck at well, Dunkin'. I'm sorry. They keep Mark. burning my coffee, taste. so I stopped going to Dunkin'. I will go to like any like even even the gas station makes better coffee than Dunkin'. Whoa there, those are fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, when when they burn your coffee, yeah, the gas station makes better coffee. <laughs> Alright, well now to get to the real hard hitting facts of this episode. This is this is a groundbreaking discovery. At some point, uh, Mayor Dewey is talking to Steven about, you know, Buck when he was a little kid. And he brings up this very, very crucial piece of, of, of oh, information. Can I say it? Can I say it? You can say it, Kat. Go ahead. He went to school! <laughs> Not just any school. He went to a Montessori school. <laughs> hey, Kat, what's a Montessori school? So a Montessori school is like a special school where they focus on... Like the education, the child is the vehicle for the education. Mm-hmm. They completely believe so. Hmm. The ch- they have special blocks of time, no more than three hours, where the child kind of free flows through the day. Okay. <laughs> and these kids kind of learn almost on a free basis, but they get their, their core curriculum. Um, but the kids are literally just on a free basis of learning. So they get their, they get their math, they get their English, um, they get their sciences, they get their social, their, their social studies. Um, but they also get things like art and, uh, more applied sciences. So more like applied, yeah. Crafting. And, and and these things are more, um, they can start anywhere from like three years old. And the, the kids' groupings, so it's not like they're like all five-year-olds, all six-year-olds. The groupings in the classrooms are anywhere from like three to six to like, you know, uh, six to eight. 
So they're, they're a group of kids in a class and the classrooms are, are kind of small also. So there's not a, you know, whereas a public school, I grew up in New York City. So public school classrooms, I had 30 kids in a class, um, with one teacher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so there was really one to 30. Um, a Montessori classroom, you're li- literally probably going to get two teachers to probably s- six to ten kids. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Sh- shrinking that uh, student-to-teacher ratio. So, um, so yeah, because I was looking it up earlier because I was like, what, what are the, like, selling points of a Montessori school. Um, okay. So audience, just to let you know, these are my notes on this particular development in Buck's life. At first, as I was watching the episode, I thought, what the hell? Buck comes to a donut shop and asks for a Caprese salad. My first question was, did he go to school? Because I just assumed that nobody goes to school in Beach City, but apparently no, he went to a Montessori school. So I don't know, Kat. Maybe it isn't such a good education. Um, no. So they have constructivist <laughs> or discovery models. So the students learn concepts from working with materials rather than direct instruction. Mm-hmm. So they have specialized educational mater- uh, educational materials developed by Montessori and her collaborators, often made f- out of natural aesthetic materials such as wood rather than plastic. And prepare uh, a thoughtfully prepared environment where materials are organized by subject area within reach of child and are appropriate in size. Are you reading? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the classrooms are mixed age classrooms, and they range from ages two and a half to three, uh, or three to six, and are, um, which are the most common. And then they go from 0 to 3, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 15, and 15 to 8-year-old classrooms. Interesting. So, So, and the uninterrupted blocks of work time are usually three hours. So if you're a parent... Freedom within limits. I'm sorry, what? So there's freedom within limits. Uh, Yeah. So, which is funny because that's actually something that we teach within family therapy also, which is uh, instead of freedom within limits, it's something that we call forced choice. So, which is something that when kids, when we have children who have oppositional defiant disorder, um, we don't say, normally when it's uh, a child who is openly defiant, we would say, they're going to say no to you no matter what. So instead of saying you're going to tell them to clean their room, you give them two choices of things that you want them to do and they'll make a choice. You just make them choose something that you want them to do. So you can say, okay, well, you can either clean your room or you can, you know, clean or, or you can go do this. They'll choose one of the two things that you want. Why? Because you've given them a choice. They've chosen one of the things that you want them to do because they thought they had a choice. Interesting. Lifeless. In reality, they don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Do we ever really have a choice? <laughs> you know. It's not a philosophy podcast, John. Keep it keep keep it so, up for another time. So parents tend to tend to when I when I try to teach them these rules and try to help them with this, they tend to uh, take it to the extreme and they do the, you can clean your room or I'll take your phone away. Okay, like, that's not forced choice. You're still telling them you can clean your room or I'm going to take your phone away. Mm-hmm. That's not the forced choice. You're, you're telling them, you know, clean your room. <laughs> but, you know, you can say, you can clean your room or you can go take a shower. You can clean your room or you can, you know go clean, you know, the kitchen, you can, you know, it, whatever their, their chores are, these are those things. Cool. So freedom within limits is the same concept. Exactly. So if you're ever interested in being a parent or you are a parent and you're thinking about educational choices and you're not a fan of the traditional school system, 
maybe research a bit about Montessori schools and what type of schools you have nearby. You might find something interesting. Okay, so now that we got off that part, because my whole thing throughout every one of these episodes, so 22 episodes has been the only person who has gone to school has been Connie. And now we know Buck has gone to school. Gone to school. Oh my God, I can't speak. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, so, but he's gone to school yet. And we learned that he's learned freedom within limits, but apparently his freedom within limits still makes him believe that he can get a Capri salad from a donut shop. <laughs> so I wonder if he was kicked out of the Montessori school. Possibly. Or maybe he was just pulled too soon. Mm-hmm. Very possible. Because <laughs> he seems to think that his freedom has no limits. Mm-hmm. Like, and if I go to this donut shop and ask for a Capri salad, I can still get it. In this episode, I found it very interesting that previous to this episode, we always talked about how Buck didn't feel enough love from his father Mm -hmm. or enough understanding. But what we see in this episode is actually rather different from that. Like his father is very like work oriented and very like into his majorly duties. But what we see in this episode is that his father is very into trying to support his, his uh, boy and whatever dreams he might have when he, tells his father like hey can we use the shirt printing press whatever his father says like hey you know an enterprising youth that's that's great i'm gonna give you whatever resources you need like i'm here for you and stuff like that and it feels like maybe buck is just going through this teenager period where he wants to sort of be apart from his father he wants to sort of stand for something else than what his father stands for and that in a way means that he's going to subconsciously sort of push his father away emotionally and then feel isolated if you know what i mean oh that's that is exactly what i was getting from from this situation um the other thing is that when may uh oh my god mayor dewey because i can't i don't remember what his name was anyway um mayor dewey talks about the picture that i'm sorry excuse me Mm -hmm. that buck had drawn (coughs) sorry losing my voice Mm -hmm. that buck had drawn for him when he was first trying to run for mayor So he drew a picture for him that said, vote for my daddy. And he still carries that picture around Mm -hmm. in the, uh, in that printing press thing. And he had shown that to Steven and Buck was kind of embarrassed by it, but it shows that, um, Mayor Dewey still has a very soft spot for his son, um, because a lot of parents would have just been like, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep this around, you know, maybe hang it up on the refrigerator. And then after a while, I'm going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But this is something that, you know, Mayor Dewey was like, no, this was his first time making something to support me. <clears throat> and I'm going to keep this with me at all times. So he carries it with him on the road. If you didn't notice, that was with him at all times because mm-hmm. he kept it with him on the printing press. Mm-hmm. Um, so he keeps his son with him at all times, even though his son pushes him away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mayor, Mayor Dewey may not know how to connect with his son, but he tries to. Definitely. He even tries to speak in youth lingo. Oh, my God. You know, you gotta start yanking that youth vote, boy. Yeah. You just really wanted to say that, didn't you? Yeah. Listen, nobody should be ganking anything. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm just gonna say this. Buck should just Pokemon go to the polls for his dad. You need to stop it. with these slogans. I wrote it, yeah. so yeah. I had to say it. You really? <laughs> I know it's le- it's legitimately in the notes, people. It really is, and it's it's we we read these notes sometimes, and it's it's I I I just either groan or eye roll, but it's just he 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 really just writes them in. He really does. <laughs> So one thing I think it's very important to discuss is also. Um, Are you going to write read that that last one? Because I know you want to. The damn buck, your daddy sitch be mad sad. Yeah. No, that's not <laughs> what I was going to read it. Oh. Okay. Well, he just said it, so now it's been said, so now we don't need to say it ever again. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is that <laughs> buck. <laughs> Buck finds his situation with his father, like the way he pushes his father away subconsciously. Um, he does it to the degree where he can't accept seeing it out in the open. So when he sees Stephen genuinely trying to support his dad with a doodle and trying to sort of um, advertise his father, he literally says to Stephen, you know, Part of what's great about this shirt is that your work is so naive because you really love your dad and that's funny, right? And he's sort of condescending in the way that he says it. Mm -hmm. And it's because he can't accept that there could be, there's a possibility in which he could have that sort of relationship with his dad. Maybe to him, it just feels like a normal part of growing up is getting to hate your parents. Right. Like, this is how it should be. Um, and that's why he calls what Stephen does naive. So, but the other thing is, I think part of it is that whole, like, uh, that artist sort of trope. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he came from, from this, this sort of, attached background he has a good relationship with his parent and the only way to be a good artist is to have a bad relationship with your parents mm-hmm. and he can't be the uh developing artist that he wants to be if he doesn't have a negative yeah if he's emotionally healthy yeah yeah that's that's quote unquote counterintuitive to your art. So so I think he needs to f- feel like he doesn't have that attachment. He needs to believe that his father and him doesn't uh uh doesn't have a good relationship. Because in all honesty, they have a healthy relationship. They have a very good relationship. Um and and the only person who is making it a bad relationship is Buck. But anytime, <clears throat> anytime he needs something, he can go to his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father always is willing to to fix that relationship. It's always easily repaired. Um, so it's a healthy attachment. It's not even. It's not so broken. It's not so unattached that um. That if um, Buck did anything, that Mayor Dewey would be like, "Nope, I'm never speaking to you ever again." You know, it's it's never a situation where Mayor Dewey would be like, "Nope, you've got to fix this on your own." Yep. So, um, another theme I think it's very important this episode is non-consented use of media or material right we often see in social media how somebody posts this video that somebody recorded without somebody's consent um just to make fun of them and this video reaches a wide amount of audience to the point where it can ruin somebody's life and often it's it's taken without context out of context, or sometimes even if it isn't within context, it, it's a situation that was public, but 
was intended to be private, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm having an argument with somebody I love, but, like, that's recorded and then sent to the media, even if it was, like, you know, in the mall, it's not something that you have the right to sort of just publish and make it into sort of like a, laugh, a laughing stock for the rest of, you know, the internet to watch. But... On the other hand, we really seem to enjoy these videos. And this is part of, like, how social media operates nowadays. And it's a real problem. What Buck did was he took Stephen's picture that picture that Stephen purposely gave to him for advertisement purposes. But Buck repurposed it as a joke. He without telling Steven or without being like completely upfront with it, he just took that to make fun of Steven's dad or Steven's relationship with his dad. And that had far reaching consequences to the point where people were visiting uh, Greg just to make fun of him. Yeah, and so here we can kind of see like these, what kind of this effect of like non-consented use of of stuff, uh, sort of material or sort of ideas, can kind of have, and it kind of, like it kind of drives this point home of how so subtle these things can be, because yeah, we have like sour cream coming and taking a picture, we have Jenny who <coughs> is talking about how the shirt is so bad but it's so funny that it's so good um and yet when we go and see steven's dad he's like oh yeah you know so many people are coming by but they're not taking lessons i don't know what's going on so you know steven's dad is is oblivious to this and you know here he is thinking about how you know all these people are coming by some people are interested but you know, I wonder what, but why isn't anybody taking a lesson? Mm-hmm. Yet, we Stephen knows, and everyone else seems to know that this isn't what the shirts have. Uh, were, this is this isn't what the shirts were created for. These shirts, you can tell now, are were created for some sort of other intention to solely really just kind of poke fun at him. But at the same time, like you see that effect of how. It could seem like a positive thing to one person, but in reality, it's very detrimental. It's it's not focusing on what the it's not doing what it was intended for. It is now, you know, becoming something else. Yeah. And this is something that actually Buck revisits when Stephen is arguing with him, letting him know that he doesn't like the way this this shirt is being put out. And he says, like, you know, it's it's too late. It's already in the public consciousness. It's become a part of culture. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. Like, you have to you have to spur it on because now it's part of like the zeitgeist. And that's also sort of like an opinion that we hear often when something affects somebody's life. That that becomes part of you know our like meme culture per se. Mm-hmm. when we use a meme that is sort of insulting to a person or like repurpose repurposes something that somebody made maybe to you know have a few laugh amongst friends and then it becomes just something that's blown out of proportion people start commenting on you and you know even if it is already like in the culture if it's everywhere that doesn't mean that it's right or that we should promote it and we should be i think wary of that right sometimes there there are people that say like like people who become famous through memes they say you know i i really don't want this picture of me propagated anymore and some people say like you know it's too late it's already a meme so i'm gonna keep using it but, you know, if if they've said so publicly that they do not enjoy it, they're the ones who are actually having the most impact from, you know, repurposing these images or, or videos and for our own entertainment. So it's very important to be to listen to that and to, you know, be more conscious of what you put out there, even if it's funny at first 
glance. I feel like a good example of of this in you know popular media nowadays would actually be the movie The Room. Like nowadays, when we see a movie like like when we see that movie or when we hear that movie or we hear very iconic lines from that movie, we are using it in a very comedic sense mm-hmm. because the movie is just you know horrible. It, exactly, it's just downright <laughs> awful. But the whole point of that movie was to be a drama. But it just became so, it was just so poorly produced that people viewed it as a comedy. And, you know, originally, like, this upset, you know, Tommy Wiseau, you know, he was really upset at the fact that, like, you know, I don't understand why people are laughing. This is supposed to be sad. This is supposed to be a drama. But then he had to kind of turn it around and, and make it be like, oh, yeah, haha, yeah, you know, this is a really good comedy, blah, blah, blah. And, and now it's so propagated into main media culture as a comedy or that's something that's to be laughed at and because of how bad it is that we kind of forget that its original intent was to be a drama was it really yes he 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 stated that it was originally supposed to be a drama it was he just did everything himself and he produced it and directed it so poorly (laughs) if you frank about it 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 just came out looking so bad that people thought it was hilarious people thought it was a joke and that's why during the the main premiere people were laughing out loud at this thing because they thought it was hilarious and he walked out on the premiere and so upset but then like afterwards he came back and was like you know haha yeah this is very funny blah 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 and that's what kind of Helped push towards success because if he had decided to keep fighting for the fact that it was a drama, you know, that would have just ended things <laughs> right then like, and there. Yeah, nah. It's a drama. It's a drama. No, no, no. It's it's a comedy. <laughs> so when Stephen is confronted with this uh, bug that is very unwilling to sort of take back what he's done, Stephen decides to become a politically motivated terrorist. Well, and I, I, in in all honesty, I think it was more he fought art with art. Yes, but he shot the mayor. Well, the only way that Buck was going to listen. His, the mayor was shirted in public, sending the world <laughs> to hysteria. Like everybody started running for their lives. It was a terror attack. But in all honesty... Was the mayor hurt? His feelings were hurt. No, no because no, he, he was. saw what the <laughs> shirt was, he, and he realized it was the sh- it was the picture that Buck had made, and he thought it was really cute. And he also realized just how comfy that bench was. That's yeah. true. So, all you terrorists out there, just make sure that everybody has a payoff. I think that's a very bad message. Do not. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> please don't, don't listen. Don't listen to Jean on that one. <laughs> that might even get might, that might even get scrapped, guys. So yeah. don't worry about that. <laughs> it may not, because I'll probably forget. <laughs> okay, so mm. <laughs> he goes to a, the top of a house or building, and he shoots the mayor. He with- goes to the top of the book depository. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he shoots the mayor. And the Secret Service just <laughs> runs. And they suck. Yeah. It's not even a gun. It's 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 a t-shirt gun. It's a t-shirt cannon. Yeah. It's a cannon. That makes it even worse. <laughs> Dude, have you ever been shot by one of those? Those things hurt. They do? Dude, yeah. I've never been shot with a t-shirt cannon. Yeah. Well, now I know. So Stephen did hurt Mayor Dewey. So, but he was pretty far. So I was very close when I was shot by one of this. <laughs> okay, so, hmm. And, Anything I mean, else? Luckily, luckily, I wasn't like, you know, Maude Flanders, you know. <laughs> so when, when, when Box <laughs> uh, sort of drawing is exposed and everybody said it makes fun of it he comes to understand you know that everything you do in this in the same manner has a victim right Mm -hmm. 
And so he learns that the hard way. And so he goes to Stephen's dad and in order as a sort of apology, apology, he subscribes to guitar lessons, even though I'm pretty sure he already wanted guitar lessons. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So. So our next episode will be a combination of uh, Steven Universe and the Mandalorian. (laughs) Thank you. That will be all. This is the way. <laughs> Anything else to say about Shirt Club? Uh, I think we are pretty much set here. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode to the Here Comes a Thought podcast, not otherwise associated to Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings. Or, Fle- or The Simpsons. What else did we mention this this episode? I don't know. We we really just hit every one of our fandoms this time. If you want to keep listening to our quality content, Steven Universe content that is, please subscribe to this podcast. And you can leave comments on the forum or on the Discord, which the links will be below. Or you can send us tweets, which our handles will also be below on the comments. Um, yeah, like, share, subscribe. Do everything. Yeah. And don't become a politically motivated terrorist. Please Please don't. don't. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Bye. Take care, guys. Bye.